Hey everyone, this is Dr. Travis Stork and excited to talk today to Dr. Brad Spellberg. You all know him. He's an ID specialist, chief medical officer at Los Angeles County University of Southern California Medical Center. He's, he's very insightful when it comes to where we stand with the COVID pandemic. And today is, I would say it's not just an update. Today's conversation is really about where do we go from here as individuals, as a country, balancing out this middle of the road, staying safe, but at the same time, not allowing this country to get into such an economic depression that uh, we can't dig out of it. So I love today's conversation with Dr. Spellberg. I hope you enjoy it. We also uh, talk at the end about his new book that just came out called Broken, Bankrupt, and Dying, How to Solve the Great American Healthcare Ripoff. I'm excited to talk more about this concept with Dr. Spellberg in the future, but I highly encourage anyone after they listen to this podcast to go to Amazon and pick up a copy of his book. It is really insightful, not just for those in healthcare, but for anyone out there who consumes healthcare. In other words, all of us. Enjoy the podcast. Dr. Spellberg, as I always promise people, um, today we are doing nothing more than expressing our opinions and, uh, in your case, not those of your employer, but I want to talk to you today about where we stand with COVID and then also, uh, later talk a little bit about the book that you have that is just coming out this week, because I think it's such an appropriate time to address not only where we are in terms of this COVID pandemic, but how the pandemic is affecting people, not just in terms of their health, but their pocketbooks as well. And I, I think the only way that we can address the those issues is to start with where we stand with the pandemic. The headlines are all around us. Infection rates are rising dramatically, particularly in certain states. We are, I'm going to say this and put words in the mouths of people listening, but I feel like nobody knows what to believe anymore because life is starting to feel more normal. All of us um, are, are trying to balance out being safe while acknowledging this virus is all around us. So many increases in terms of the number of infections. And yet, interestingly, you're not seeing the increase in death that you might expect. So can you break down for us right now, in your professional opinion, how we should view what's happening across the country right now? This massive, I'll call it a massive increase in infections again, and how that is translating to what's happening in ICUs and hospitals in America. Sure. So the first thing I guess we should start with is to remember it's not one pandemic in the U.S. It's sort of 50 different pandemic because it's, there's a geographical local uh, aspect to it. Uh, and so there's trends. The trends across the country are, as you say, more cases being detected. Some have speculated this is simply due to more testing. Certainly there is more testing being done. But I can tell you as someone who views every admission to my hospital with COVID, that it is not just due to more testing. We are having more admissions to the hospital. There are more actual infected sick patients. But interestingly, the severity of each case seems to be less. 
two months ago, month and a half ago, half of the patients that were coming in were going to the ICU. Those patients were often on ventilators. They stay on ventilators for weeks. And now very few of them are going on to ventilators. And people have said, well, maybe that's because people, the, the pandemic is shifting to a younger population now. No, I can tell you firsthand, 80, 90 year olds are coming in not on ventilators. So there is to me something about the pandemic is shifting towards less average severity for infection, but more numbers of infections. Is that because the virus itself has changed in your opinion, or is it because in the early summer months with more humidity or environmental changes, the virus is not as, um, we love to use the word virulent, and or, or I should say that the virus is not as damaging do you have an opinion on that? Because I know I know that you can't say scientifically why this is happening. And then, of course, that also leads to the question of, are we getting better at treating in the hospitals and realizing that there are ways to avoid putting people on ventilators, whereas a few months ago, we had no idea what we were doing? <laughs> I still think we have no idea what we're doing, but that's a separate. I mean, we what, the amazing that we're four months into this it feels like it's been four years. It's only been four months. I mean, we're still at the earliest stages of learning about this virus and the disease. Um, there's two predominant hypotheses you could theorize why this trend is happening. One is, as you alluded to, is something called attenuation. Attenuation is very well described for many different types of viruses. When they first enter a population, they're more nasty. Then as they spread, they become less nasty due to changes in the virus itself. Uh, it would be very nice to believe that was the case because if that was the case, these changes would be long lasting. I have not seen any scientific evidence that mutations are occurring in the virus that correlate with this less average, intense, severe presentation that we're seeing. That doesn't mean it's not there. I just haven't seen studies come out to show that. An alternative hypothesis, as you mentioned, is could this have something to do with weather? Respiratory viruses are often worse in the winter months. Is it warmer temperatures, changes in humidity, UV index, UV light can inactivate this virus. Are people getting infected with a smaller amount of virus, which causes less severe infection? That also is an interesting hypothesis. There are some weak data to suggest may be the case. That's something we're actually looking at locally. I hope in the next couple of months we see studies to ask those questions. And now we're going to get controversial. And that is um, when you look at infection rates across the country and Texas, Florida, Arizona, a number of other states have seen their rates of positive tests skyrocket. If we find out, and let's just say the next month or so, that the severity of the virus has somehow attenuated, and let's just say it is environmental or we suspect it's environmental, is there a risk that if we don't develop, I'm just going to say this, if we don't develop herd immunity sooner rather than later, that come wintertime, 
the virus starts infecting people and becomes more deadly again. And, and what I'm getting at here is I think there is an incredible amount of confusion as to how open we should be as a country right now and as a world. And there are competing opinions and I'll, I'm still in the middle of the road. I still think if you just, if we go back to strict lockdown, when you come back out in a few months, it's, it's going to spread. <laughs> so you, you're going to have, we call it these, these brush fires spreading. We're just trying to prevent these massive eruptions, but is there something to be said for continuing to, it's the Sweden model of, of being like, all right, well, if, if we're not seeing a ton of deaths or an increase yeah. in deaths, is now a good time, especially for these healthy individuals in society to go ahead and get infected? Because I now know a ton of people who've been infected who didn't even know they were infected. And, and that doesn't mean they didn't have any symptoms. I want to get to that in a minute. But what is your take on that as a country right now? Because Infection rates are going up and then we're, we're, we're opening certain areas. We're closing is now a good time. If you're going to get infected with the virus, hate to say this, but it's now a better time than potentially in the fall or winter. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you don't tend to ask easy questions, do you? Well, uh, because Dr. Spellberg, these are the questions that we all have. And the, especially I'll tell you right now, I brought a newborn home from the hospital Two, well, less than two weeks ago, and he was in the NICU, and he, you know, and, and probably then I had to take him to the Peds office, and I'm sitting here thinking, I, he's never going to have potentially more exposures than in these first few weeks of life, and then I'm reading the data, and I'm thinking, well, if we all get it now, you know, maybe that's better than in the fall. Yeah, so let me start with the two less controversial answers, and then we can work our way up. If you ask me, would I rather be infected with this virus today than two months ago? Unequivocally, yes. I mean, I, as I mentioned, I view every COVID-19 positive case that's admitted to my hospital. And we've had more admissions to this hospital, LACUSC, or the linchpin of the safety net for LA County than any other hospital in LA County. So I've seen a lot of these. The severity is less. I'm just telling you that. I would much rather have it now than two months ago. And I fear that if this is not attenuation, if it's not due to mutations that will persist, that we will be back in trouble in the fall. I would rather be infected now than in November, than going into the winter and December, for sure. No question. So I don't envy, here's the other less controversial answer. I don't envy leaders that have to balance two competing mortality forces. We could kill people from COVID and we could kill people from bankruptcy and throwing them into the street because they're homeless because they can't make a living. We've got economies that are crashing. I mean, my state, California, went from a $15 billion surplus to a $55 billion deficit in three months of economic shutdown. That's not sustainable. So, it's not, I, I, what I'd really like to have us do is stop yelling at each other yes. and sit down and realize there's multiple aspects to this and a middle of the road answer may not be stupid. Maybe we should sit down and talk to each other and stop yelling at each other and stop being so polarized. That's the less controversial answer. I'll get slightly more controversial. 
It is reasonable to think that as long as the severity of illness is lessening and your hospitals are not underwater, it is reasonable to stay open. Now, that doesn't mean go out without a mask, go to big gatherings, go to parties. It means stay open with sensible precautions. Keep groups small, physically distance, wash your hands, wear your masks. If you're in a part of the country where your ICUs are full, you need to start backing off because if you get sick, you will die. I mean, that, that's the balance here. We need to get to a yin and yang. Yin and yang are not competing forces. They're forces that work in concert to achieve balance. How's that? Did I toe the line there? You did. And I think, unfortunately, people are hearing one opinion or the other in this middle of the road approach is something in medicine and health that is not um, taken quite often enough. I look at communities and I see people reengaging at um, restaurants with proper social distancing. I see people going ahead and getting back out in the world. And I like to see that. And yet, having said that, I still am troubled if I drive by a pool and I see 250 people splashing and playing in the pool, like the pandemic is completely gone because that doesn't seem necessary right now. So this balanced approach, I think, is the right one. Um, But I want to address something because a lot of young people, and by young, I mean, I'm middle-aged, I'm 48, and I have a lot of peers who think that there is no risk whatsoever from this virus. And yet I now have a number of friends who've tested positive and nothing terrible happened to them. But now even months later, they'll say, Travis, I was going for my normal hike. And I just, for the last few months, my lungs aren't quite right. I just, I'm coughing. I I just can't. The red loop that I normally do in 50 minutes, it now takes me an hour and 15 minutes. And I want to address that because these, these, I'll call them lingering symptoms that can be mild, moderate, or in some people severe. Some people saying the symptoms later on have been almost worse than the, what I'll call the initial infection. Do we know what's going on there? And are these people, are are they still infected or is this just a post-inflammatory response in your opinion? The latter part is easier to answer. It's almost certainly a post-inflammatory response. All the data that we have, and there's been about four studies that have come out on this, suggest that you stop shedding viable virus at about uh, by about 10 days after symptom onset. Um, so within two to three weeks, you're certainly not shedding viable virus. But um, patients that have bacterial pneumonia will continue to cough and be short of breath for weeks to a couple of months after they're successfully treated and the bacteria is gone. This is your immune system filled up your lungs with inflammation and it takes a long time to get rid of that inflammation. Uh, I would also add that while it is true that patients in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s do worse, we have had patients in their 20s and 30s in the ICU on ventilators and we have seen deaths. It is not true that because you're 20 years old, you won't get sick. You won't get sick nearly as often but it, you're rolling the dice. You're playing Russian roulette and we don't want to do that. So I, we go back to the thing in the middle. 
If there is healthcare capacity in your area, it does make sense to economically reopen because you can kill people via shutting down mm -hmm. too. There's got to be a balance. But economically reopening doesn't mean being irresponsible. It means physically distancing. It means minimizing contact. It means wearing masks. It means washing hands. We have to be responsible. And for people, that part of the problem with yelling is we don't listen when we're yelling. If you're yelling to stop with the testing and open everything back up, then you may not be listening to physical distancing and wearing masks. If we want reopening to occur, help us be responsible as we reopen. Yeah, and in response to this comment about yelling, can you tell tell my son that yelling? But see, that's <laughs> normal yelling. <laughs> yeah, but yelling, you know, the, the, I, I love what you're getting at here with the, the yelling does not work. Um, we are all in this together. A virus does not know um, what political party you are a member of, whether you're an independent Republican, Democrat, or somewhere um, else. So I agree with that. Unfortunately, I do not think that people will hear anything but yelling because yelling, and I'm in the industry, Dr. Spellberg, in television and in media, the more you yell, the more often people listen. And I hate that that's true. It's caused me so much consternation in my career because if you say measured, reasonable, responsible things, you don't get headlines. That's why I've always tried to be honest, truthful, and, um, and when people will listen, give them what I believe to be the truth or the best opinion possible. So having said all of that, because I think you and I are, are – middle of the road folks. And we're both big on, we need to get the economy moving. We need to minimize bad infections. Are we looking at timeline wise, are we looking at a viable vaccine coming along? I'll just say midwinter. I'm going to say beginning of 2021 being effective or by that point in time, are we going to have had so many infections that we will begin to develop herd immunity and quite frankly, assuming that not everyone's going to get a vaccine, even if it comes out, are we going to be at a place in early 2021, in your opinion, where the, the virus will have run rampant through society and we will develop herd immunity or we will have a vaccine? Everyone wants to know, what's the timeline here? When will this be over? My sister called me last night. She is just, she's, she lives in Texas and she said, Travis, I'm just so tired of this. They're driving to Colorado. They're questioning me whether or not they can even see my dad because he has cancer. And it's like, Andrea, this is a week by week thing. I can't promise you when things will be back, be back to normal. And she asked me, will it be normal by next spring? <laughs> I hope so, is what I said. <laughs> At least some semblance of normal. I think we should start by saying, first of all, nobody knows the answer to these very important questions. And anybody who tells you, I know for sure what's going to happen you have to sort of look at it a little bit suspiciously. Having said that, we do have some historical precedents that can serve as a guide. Uh, the, this, the experience with the 1918-1919 flu pandemic, which took two years to burn out via herd immunity, would suggest that if we don't have a vaccine, we will not likely be done by early next year. 
It, you know, it took 3 billion people to get infected back then before the thing ran its course. And we're nowhere near that point. I think there is reason to be hopeful that we will have a vaccine by early next year. There are multiple candidates in development. It's just hard to predict until you see how these things perform. But when you put many products into the pipeline, the odds are reasonably good that one will come out the back end. And the nice thing about vaccines is they don't have to be 100% protective. When flu vaccines give us 50% protection, they really tamp down the flu rate dramatically. And even the, when people get breakthroughs, they're much less severe with the vaccine. So if we can get a viable vaccine by January, February, March next year, we can be hopeful that things will be hugely better. That's the big hope for us. And I think the takeaway for me would be if you can avoid getting infected with this virus, you should with the ultimate hope of a vaccine being available, hopefully in early 2021. In the meantime, if you are engaging in activities that are designed to put food on your family's table, the reward may be worth the risk. But until, and again, there are so many people that are questioning whether or not sports will be back up and running in the fall. And, and I, you know, I, I have trouble seeing that with certainly with massive amounts of fans in the stadium. I think that we are going to continue to have to think about when we travel, we're going to have to continue to think about big gatherings until a vaccine is available. And that's where I, I've always said it's a marathon, not a sprint here. I, I hope that in some way, shape or form, uh, because entertainment is so important, quite frankly, and the more people feel like they are able to, I'll say this, enjoy their lives, the more willing they might be to um, stay home, if you will. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that as, as, as fall comes around, that people, that, that schools will reopen smartly. I, I do not know how this will all play out, but the reason this conversation with you is so important and why I love talking to you is most doctors only focus on the health impact and they don't address the financial impact, which is greater. Well, they're both great. And this is a perfect segue into the book that you just wrote called Broken, Bankrupt, and Dying, How to Solve the Great American Healthcare Ripoff. And I just want to tease this because I want to talk with you more about it in the future. But one of the things I've noted with COVID, the COVID pandemic, is the haves versus the have-nots. Because there are a lot of people who need testing, who need treatment. These things are not free. <laughs> and with so many bankruptcies starting with a medical emergency or unforeseen medical problem, um, I read your book and I was just, I found myself nodding my head over and over again. You're right. You're right. Yes. We spend more money than any other country on healthcare without, without outcomes to show for it. Did you, did you have a crystal ball? Because this timing for this book is perfect, Dr. Spellberg. Because we, we all are, we, we are more focused than ever on 
our health, the healthcare system, and we need systemic change. Absolutely. So we are in complete alignment. And what I would say is that you can't dissociate health from economics. I think what we've learned in the last half century is that the social determinants of health are probably bigger drivers of health impacts than an ICU bed. If you shut down the economy, there is no money to provide healthcare. And if we can't provide healthcare, I don't care how good your healthcare system is, it can't deliver the goods. In the United States, our healthcare costs are so much higher. It costs way more money to deliver an equivalent function. As, and as you say, we actually live shorter lifespans than people in all industrialized wealthy nations while spending at least twice, if not three times more than they do to deliver that bad outcome. There is something deeply broken about our healthcare system and it needs to be fixed. So for anyone who wants to have a better understanding of the U.S. healthcare system and quite frankly, its magnificent flaws, I highly recommend Dr. Spellberg's book. It's called Broken, Bankrupt and Dying, How to Solve the Great American Healthcare Ripoff. I read the book and I'll tell you what, he is spot on. And if you want to figure out how to best care for you and your family in this system that is so confusing to so many people, read his book. You will uncover so many wonderful insights. And there are so many wonderful insights that I want to continue to talk to Dr. Spellberg about concepts in this book because people have to remember that this is a system that is breaking families. It's causing bankruptcies and people are dying unnecessarily. And Brad digs into all of those issues. The book, Dr. Spellberg, is available wherever books are sold and online. Uh, principally at, at Amazon, hopefully in the future, maybe more of a physical presence as well. That sounds great. Well, again, I highly recommend everyone pick up a copy of the book. Go to Amazon, Broken, Bankrupt, and Dying by Dr. Brad Spellberg. I hope you enjoyed listening. Do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. I would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity, optimism, and hope. Uh, looking forward to the next podcast. We'll see you soon. The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.